I'm Joe. Nice to meet you, brother. I love watching you grow up. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Touchdown! Is this the And Fernando Tatis Jr. A grand slam. Iguodala. It's funny to hear female talk about routes like. It's funny. Welcome to the backseat. It is great to be back. I am your host, Ethan, and I am joined again by my co-host. What up, guys? Clark here again. Always ready to give you some absolutely terrible takes, but that's my job, and I'm here for you. Yeah, so it's good to be back. Uh, so, Clark, how are you doing? How have you been since our first episode? Now that we're we're sophomores, basically in the podcasting I know. realm. Is, uh, you know, they always talk about in the NFL a sophomore slump. Um, I guess if this is number two, we look to avoid that sophomore slump. Hopefully, it's a little bit better than our first production. But a lot of confidence in us. I feel good about us in this. A lot of we're wearing the same colored shirt, kind of. We didn't really yeah. plan that, but we're here, so that's a lot of a lot of good energy going into the second episode for sure. Hey, it's basically the uniform. We basically got it figured out. I know. We'll have to, you know, accidental twins, always a good sign for a show. Yeah, I mean, we went back and watched the game tape, posted some of it on TikTok, mm -hmm. uh, and now out, we're back for our second episode. Already have learned a lot. Without a doubt, without a doubt, exponentially. So, uh, getting into our first story of the day, our first big topic is... The NFL. So we're going over to the NFL, and we're talking about this draft that just happened. Mm -hmm. So we just had this huge three-day-long draft of all these prospects, which people said wasn't very, was super deep. What others said, the top wasn't great. So we're going to talk about some offensive rookie of the year hype, some defensive rookie of the year hype, and that's where we're going to live in today's episode. So let's start off with Clark. Who do you think is going to win offensive rookie of the year? And we're yeah, also going to give some betting thoughts. Yeah. Sorry, Clark. Go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. So the, the first guy actually that I had put down is the top guy whom which I would put money on. Probably will surprise a lot of people, especially those who decided to lose their minds after one day of training uh, rookie minicamp, I should say. Um, I have my favorite actually as uh, Traylon Burks. I think Traylon Burks for the Tennessee Titans, I would say, has the best chance in my mind purely because I think he's going to be the main option in that offense in terms of throwing the ball if he plays his card right and has a good offseason. Um, he also has, of the rookie receivers, probably the most established quarterback. I mean, Tannehill is for his liabilities has had good years in the past with throwing the ball. A.J. Brown had success there when he was a young receiver. Obviously, he's in Philadelphia now. But I think Burks and Brown have a lot of similar qualities, good after the catch, big physical receivers. I think if they can get that chemistry down, Burks is a guy who I would certainly be willing to put some money on at plus 750 right now to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Whether that happens or not, who knows? But I kind of like it. What about you? Who you guys your top guy? Well, so b before I talk about who I like, uh, I want to ask you, so is he who you would pick to actually win the award? Yes, I, I think I would. I would pick him as my rookie of the year. Not only is that I think the value just in terms of a bet there, I think he would be my pick just based off of the fact that I think he is going to get a lot of opportunities to be the main pass catcher for the Titans. And like I said, I think he probably has the most established guy throwing him the ball. And because of that combination, I feel like he's a guy who I could seriously see doing some damage this year, especially with wide receivers the way that they've broken in the last years. I'm not saying he's the same capability of guys like Chase and Jefferson, who I think are both top five, 
But I think Traylon Burks, the way that he molds out and the way that Tennessee kind of likes to run their offense in terms of passing the ball, he's someone who I think can pick up, pick up a good season and have good numbers. So I think, he, yeah, he's definitely my favorite for the guy coming out. Okay, cool. Uh, so my pick. So I, I broke down my rookie of the year thoughts into three categories. Mm-hmm. So I got my favorite. So if I were just picking off of who I think is going to win, uh, that is my first one. My second one is my value bet pick. So if I were to actually put money, this is who I'd put money on to win, who I who I think I make the best bet about. Mm-hmm. Then my third one is just a crazy pick. Somebody yeah. who I think has insane value that I could see in a hypothetical world winning and you'd win a lot of money if they did, but they're nowhere near the favorite. Mm-hmm. So my top guy, uh, it's kind of simple if, if we're playing smart money. It's got to be Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is going to be the starter in Pittsburgh, starting with a already established receiving core. He's got Najee Harris. They've got a average defense, as we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, they play in a tough division, but Kenny Pickett's going to be enough to stack numbers. I'm going to think about him as Mac Jones this year. Yeah. I think Mac Jones will end up being better than Kenny Pickett, but I think in terms of rookie numbers... I think they'll probably line up pretty close to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mac Jones was second in rookie of the year voting. What I mean, what it took to take the award away from him was an insane performance by Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. And if Jamar Chase didn't play that first Chiefs game, who even knows if he would have won the award. So my my clear pick right now is Kenny Pickett. Makes sense. Maybe I didn't pick him just a little bit of a spite for myself, but that's a very good pick. I think he definitely has an opportunity to be put up some numbers this year for Pittsburgh. We'll leave it at that. Well, the other thing, the other thing I just put into it is, I mean, quarterbacks just get a bias in any of these awards. I mean, they're the leaders of the team, so it just feels like the clear one. He's the only real quarterback who's going to start from day one out of these groups. Mm -hmm. So So let me let me ask you this, then. Obviously, Pickett's your top guy. Who would be your number two then if you were putting a bet on someone that you like to value at? So my value pick is Garrett Wilson at plus 900. Okay. So Garrett Wilson is behind a couple of these rookie wide receivers. He's behind Traylon Burks and Drake London, Mm -hmm. which I personally liked Garrett Wilson coming up the best out of all of these receivers as it was. Mm -hmm. And I think Garrett Wilson fits nicely into this Jets offense, which is – bound to take a step forward this year just because of the amount of talent they put on the field yep so i just think garrett wilson could put up big numbers i don't think he's gonna have a justin jefferson or jamar chase here yeah but i think he could stack together a lot of really good games especially because your argument with Traylon burks that he's gonna be really be the only receiving weapon on that team mm-hmm the Jets have many weapons, and so the pressure is going to be off him a little bit. Yeah. So he can kind of just play. He's the clear number one. He's got Corey Davis and Elijah Moore there to benefit for him. Mm-hmm. And I just think he could play really, really well, especially in a Shanahan-type offense. Yeah. It's funny enough, you actually, that's your value pick. I, my value pick is a guy who lined up left side of him at Ohio State, that being Chris Olave. I, I think Chris Olave at plus 1,000 right now. Um very enticing. I think when I look at Olave, he was probably one of my favorite receivers coming out of the draft this year. I think he had a not only the ability to go deep and you know be a deep threat on as he was at Ohio State, but I really like what he does with the ball in his hands. He's someone I think you make eyes miss in the open field. 
And I think although when Winston played last year, he wasn't nearly as aggressive as he was in Tampa Bay, but that's what happens when you go for a 30-30 season, which this isn't baseball, so it's not what you want. But Jameis is a guy who likes to throw the ball. He likes to make opportunities happen. He likes to take chances. I think Olave, if you know he assimilates into that offense, which I think he will very well. I mean, he's a really good receiver. I'm also a little bit biased because he's a San Diego guy. So, but I think at plus 1,000, Olave, he's one of those guys with the talent with, I think, again, a little bit more of an established quarterback, a little bit more of an established team. I understand he probably is on the lower end of the depth chart right now with Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas. Not only that, but they have Al Kamara in the backfield who takes up a lot of targets. But I think at plus 1,000, that's a pretty solid value in my mind. And I think Olave has a chance to uh, make some waves out there for New Orleans if he plays well. So, but now going to the way out there ones, which are always a ton of fun. Who do you have for your guy for offensive rookie of the year? Uh, so my my way out there kind of guy is really surprising. Uh, so it's Trey McBride now with okay. the Arizona Cardinals. So he's at plus 5,000. And the reason I picked him is just because of the without DeAndre Hopkins, they're going to have a lot of targets that they're going to need to fill out in Arizona. Without DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games, and now they don't have Christian Kirk anymore. Mm-hmm. Andy and Isabella has never really felt into that offense. I mean, Kyler Murray is going to have to put the target somewhere, and Trey McBride was pretty much the clear-cut number one tight end in this draft. Mm-hmm. And I think he could put up big red zone numbers that could prop him up into this rookie of the year bet. Like if he ends with 10 to 12 touchdowns and mm-hmm. with about 800 yards receiving, mm-hmm. I think y- you could start making the argument that a tight end is in this group, especially if these wide receivers are kind of killing themselves up at the top mm-hmm. and Kenny Pickett just hasn't impressed. I think we could be making an argument a tight end might need to win the award. All right, interesting. I feel like people have kind of soured on tight ends, but there wasn't one. I mean, he was the top one, so I, I like that. Uh, my long shot pick, um, I, I did go with the quarterback. It does not pick it, though, because obviously his odds are way too good. I went with uh, plus 1,400. I went with Desmond Ritter. Um, I think Desmond Ritter has a really good chance to surplant Marcus Mariota as a starting quarterback for the Falcons. I mean, it's aggressive to say this, but I think he could do it within the first five weeks. If Mariota does not play very well, I don't think there's really any reason for Atlanta to stick on him. And for the talent that I think Ritter has, and I think his awareness in the pocket, I think coming out uh, mechanics-wise, he was probably the most sound guy of the group. And I think he has the athleticism that goes with it that people kind of undersold on him in the draft that I think you know, he would have some chances to make some plays. Again, Atlanta's a very bad team. But if you're a quarterback, they can be a bright spot on it. Maybe he helps them win some more games people thought. I mean, again, he'd have to probably play better than a guy like Pickett to win the award because, again, if it's quarterback's favorite, if Pickett plays well, he's going to have to plot him, outplay him. But when I look at Ritter with the, uh, the athleticism combined with, I think, some refined mechanics that people don't as much give him credit for, I think he's really enticing at plus 1,400. I think he's a guy who definitely could make a sneaky run if he gets in there and takes Mariota's spot. So, so I like that pick, but there are two concerns I have about Ritter. First is, when is he going to play over Marcus Mariota? No, I totally. don't think he's going to be day one starter. No, no, no. So, and then the, my second thing is, those Falcons receivers are not good. I mean, Drake London is a good player, but he's mm-hmm. still a rookie. And then outside of that, they got about nothing. Well, I mean, they have I, Kyle Pitts at tight end, Kyle obviously. Kyle Pitts, but. I mean, I would say they have some guys. I think there's enough there that the offense could be something if, 
they're able to scheme it correctly. I don't have much faith in that. But I think if London pans out well, um, you could have a very nice connection between him and London. And you know, people might say to that, oh, well, if Drake London's playing so well, then why not take a bet on him? And I think the answer to that is simply is that, okay, the quarterbacks are going to ultimately get more credit than anything else. That's what's going to end up yeah. happening. I mean, you're, you're totally right. So I think, again, like, yeah, I don't know when Ritter is going to start. I guess with this bet, I would be banking on him, you know, getting in sooner rather than later. But I think there is a very real opportunity where he sees the field quickly if Mariota struggles. Because truthfully be told, you know what Mariota is at this point in his career. I mean, this is a second shot for him. But I don't think there's anyone looking at Mariota right now like, oh, this could be our franchise guy. I think it's why he only got two years, $18 million with Atlanta. It's just kind of a no, stop. I, I don't even know if teams are looking at him as a stopgap at this point. I mean, there were plenty of teams that needed a stopgap that didn't sign him. And yeah, they went over him. I mean, but yeah, who knows? I but yeah, Ritter. I love Ritter. I think Ritter's a, a solid choice. That so again. Yeah. Okay, that's a good pick. So mm-hmm. now we're gonna move over to the defense, and mm-hmm. so we got these defensive players, and the defense started first five picks of the draft were all defensive player of the year. So I gotta ask: Is your top guy was he one of those top five picks? Uh, yes, he was. So, so who is it? So I went. I think it was top five. I could be wrong, mistaking the number now, getting switched up. But I have my top guys, Kayvon Thibodeau. He was number five. Number five, yeah. So I thought he was five or six. But yes, Kayvon Thibodeau is my top guy. I know people, when he came out of college, which I always thought was a rather somewhat silly thing, um, that they were like, oh, well, the motor question, I don't know if he's really going to be all that into it. And I was like, okay, that just feels like the quintessential lazy analysis of a guy just because maybe he took some plays off at Oregon. But I think when you look at the build – and when he really is, when you turn on the tape and he's in, you know, a meaningful game where he's really playing that high motor, not, I think, a rusher that was in this draft that's more gifted than him. I mean, Hutchinson was another guy I was very tempted with. I believe he had the lowest of everyone. I think him and Thibodeau had the same value at plus Yeah, they're both at plus 500. But I think the thing with uh, Thibodeau, the reason it kind of entices me, is just the higher ceiling i think you can make the argument okay, hutchinson take him because he's got the lower floor you expect you kind of know what you're gonna do with his production but i think Thibodeau is one of those guys where it's okay you know if he gets a sack or two early he's gonna start feeling it quick and he's gonna get going i think for that reason that's kind of why i lean towards him but what about you i picked the same guy yes he looked great there my top was uh <laughs> Thibodeau. Uh, and the reason i picked Thibodeau was a little bit different than you but i picked Thibodeau because i just think on the giants with that defensive line and the way the defense played last year, I mm-hmm. think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to mm-hmm. rush the passer. Yeah, totally. Uh, they brought in Mondale, Mondale from the Ravens, mm-hmm. who is going to rush a lot and is yes. going to bring a lot of pressure. Thibodeau is going to get free rushes at the quarterback, which is scary. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Thibodeau is going to rack up sacks. I don't know mm-hmm. how his pressure numbers are going to be in year, the year sack one. Gonna I, be I, think, I think Thibodeau is going to be a really, really good player, to tell you yeah. the truth. I, yeah. I think... I think Thibodeau was a 1A, 1B to Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. I think Thibodeau likely has the higher ceiling, mm-hmm. but Hutchinson has a little bit higher of a floor, mm-hmm. and I don't think you could have really gone wrong with either of them. I just think yeah. right now, as it is in year one, I think Thibodeau's going to be able to rack up those sack numbers mm-hmm. a little bit more than Hutchinson just because of the pieces yeah. on the Giants' defense opposed to those on the Lions' defense. No, without a doubt. I think another thing, too, that might help him just in terms of the voting getting at the end of the year is that um, if, say, it's between him and Hutchinson, one guy plays in Detroit, one guy plays in New York. One team's going to yeah. get a lot more. One guy's going to get way more attention. That's going to be Thibodeau. Whether that's fair or not, that's the reality of the situation. And that can be a double-edged sword. Say, 
he doesn't play well, well, everyone's going to know because he's in New York. But if he does play well, everyone's going to know about it, and his name's going to be way more out there. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I think Thibodeau – I mean, and the dude's just so fast. and it's, No, he's he an athlete. around the edge so nice. No, I, I like him a ton. I Again, I didn't really give a rat's ass about the concerns at a college. I mean, I guess you got to take it with a grain of salt, but I think at the end of the day, he's going to step up to it. Well, so the, it felt very much like how people treated Joey Bosa when he was coming out in 2016, yeah, like mm-hmm. where he, Joey Bosa had been the top prospect for like two years up to that point. Mm-hmm. Thibodeau has been the guy of this class for the last two years. Everyone mm-hmm. had mocked him at number one at the beginning of next year. He mm-hmm. was in the top five. And so people just learn to overanalyze him. They try to find the things wrong because yeah. there was so much right for mm-hmm. so long. I mean – we had a, a great example of this is the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers talked about how Justin Herbert was number one on their board after mm-hmm. 2019. And then they get to the 2020 draft and are ready to take Tua before Herbert if he was on the board. Mm-hmm. That whole year, they decided to that there was a quarterback better than him, even though mm-hmm. there really wasn't. Yeah, exactly. So uh, moving past that, who yeah. is your second person? for? Yeah, so my value guy was probably um, maybe my favorite defensive prospect coming out. I was surprised he was the second corner taken. Um, I think my guy, uh, my second choice, a plus 900 Ahmad Sauce Gardner. I love Ahmad Sauce Gardner. And I know what you're saying probably yourself right now. Why would you bet on a rookie corner? Rookie corner is notoriously the guys that get picked on the most. They struggle most with the transition. But I think with... For me, I think Gardner's going to be out on the field a lot. He's going to be lining up against number ones a lot. He's going to have the opportunity to prove, you know, that his zero receiving touchdowns allowed in college wasn't some sort of fluke. I'm sure he's not going to have some sort of pedigree like that his first year. But I do think his playing coverage, if he's allowed to play man, and he's going to be able to excel in my mind. I think Gardner is a guy who I really like. I like his length. I like his speed. I like his ability to track the ball. He's a guy that entices me. Don't watch his tackling. He's a really bad tackler. And but fortunately he plays corner, so it doesn't yeah, really matter. I mean, that much. the other thing is every college corner is a bad tackler. Awesome. Yeah, don't think there's even one that was like, oh, this guy's a stout guy coming out of the secondary. So yeah, Gardner plus nine hundred. I think he was the best cornerback prospect coming out. I understand why people took Stingley, but my guy's Gardner plus nine hundred for some solid value. Okay, okay. What about That's you, interesting. I would not touch a corner, but really, uh, I, I think like it's enticing. Talk. I feel they like they have such bad conversions in the They do have such too. bad conversions, but maybe I'm just a little bit especially without the return ability because the reason Patrick Peterson got so famous his rookie well, year originally at the beginning was for the returns, but is returning. Um, so my pick is really far out there, mm-hmm. and this is who I ultimately think might win the award, which is going to be surprising to you. Uh, my pick is Dax Hill at 3300. Okay, Dax so Hill. I think Dax okay. Hill. Yeah, uh, the reason I'm betting on Dax Hill is because if there is still the holdout, I think the safety room is wide open for the Bengals. Mm-hmm. I think Dax Hill will step in and be able to play a box safety and be able to move around that Bengals defense mm-hmm. already in a pretty established secondary. Mm-hmm. I think he will be able to make plays on the ball. Mm-hmm. He'll be able to rack up stats. And I think he'll be able to be that movable piece. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a top five safety by the end of the year, but I think he's going to be a really good player. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the reason that a holdout is happening. I think right now that Part safety room is kind of wide open. And so I, I think Dax Hill could really take that starting role. And I think he could really rack up stats to be able to win defensive rookie of the year. 
No, I mean, again, as a Bengals fan, I love the Daxon Hill pick. I, I think he's a very talented player. He's very versatile. He's a guy that can move around, not just be in the safety, but come down to the box. He can play out, you know, at the slot position probably if you need him to. Um, for me, I would still love Jesse Bates, obviously, over him because I'm a huge Jesse Bates guy. But, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. If he, if Daxon Hill starts week one, I think you're right. He will have the opportunity to rack up stats. Um, he'll have a good counterpart with him in the back end with Von Bell. And, uh, yeah, I think that would make sense at uh, that value right there. I like it. I will say, though, uh, the other player I was really close to taking was Jermaine Johnson. But yeah. I didn't want to pick two Jets. I don't think both well, rookies yeah. of the years would pick would be Jets. But mm-hmm. I think Jermaine Johnson could do really well, especially mm-hmm. with Carl Lawson on the other side and that yeah. interior defensive line. I think he could also rack up stats. So mm-hmm. I tried to pick something a little bit different because I don't think a linebacker is going to win it this year, mm-hmm. and I don't think a corner is going to win it. I mean, my best guess for a corner would be Kyir Elam actually, just yeah. because he gets a lot of pressure taken off him and he'll be off two, he'll be on yeah. twos, and so it's not going to be the kind of pressure Stingley and Sauce are going to be under. Well, that was another thing too. One of the guys I looked at was uh, what's it, Kyler Gordon. The uh, yeah. guy from Kansas City. I think he's going to have a chance to be on the field, but I don't think he's going to be the guy. Uh, that gets the I don't about. think Kyler Gordon got. He didn't get drafted by Kansas City. You're thinking of Trent McDuffie. Trent McDuffie. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, who did no, Kyler you're Gordon fine. You're go fine. to? Uh, who did Kyler Gordon go to? Uh, no, he did go to the Bears. You go to the Bears? Yes, Kyler Gordon went yeah. there. Either way, I like Kyle Gordon. Uh, but yes, he was one of those guys I've thought about. But yeah, Trent McDuffie was the guy that went to Kansas City. Um, did you have a long shot pick? Yes, did you, I did. There this anyone... one's a, a very long shot pick. Probably won't happen, but he's a guy that I fell in love with the draft process. I think he was probably... Again, one of my favorite prospects. I really, in some ways, even though I'm not a Chargers fan as much, obviously, I was hoping that they would have a chance at him. I think Jordan Davis is a D-tackle. Again, I know he's a D-tackle, but I think when you look at Jordan Davis, he's arguably one of the most disruptive players that there is out of this draft class from a pure standpoint of the defensive line. Um, Again, I don't know how much he's going to be on the field. Um, I don't know how much he's going to really offer in terms of pass rush. But as a guy who would just rack up tackle numbers, be disruptive, be someone that you could look at maybe more with advanced metrics being hooked in, he'll look more valuable. So I think from that standpoint, at plus 1,400, I do like Jordan Davis. Again, he's playing in Philadelphia. That's a big market. He'll get looked at a lot. He'll get attention if he's playing well. But I think Davis, from a physicality standpoint, what he could bring to that defense and what he could do for that team, I think he's someone that's worth maybe taking a look at. Again, I get it. He's a D-tackle. He's not going to put up the sexy numbers that are sacks and whatnot, but... He's still someone who I would consider. Okay, that's an interesting one. So yeah, mine is a well, lot more long shot. Yeah. So well. my uh, my long shot comes from Denver Broncos, and it is Nick Benito. So Nick Benito is really? currently at 6,600 odds. And the reason I picked Nick Benito is because he had the best bend of draft. The okay. way he is able to move around – offensive tackles allows him to be a very interesting situational pass rusher in year one. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to get a- be able to rack up the stats. But again, I'm just picking a super long shot of, mm-hmm. hey, you want to try to make a lot of money off something in a crazy parlay? This is the kind of player. Because he might be able to be a 10-sack guy because he's going to be our your third dude. And he's going to be able to run around. He's maybe one of the fastest edge rushers in this class. And he's Mm -hmm. going to be able to bend around the edge and get past a lot of these offensive tackles Mm -hmm. and get to the quarterback. Interesting. You pick a a Big 12 defensive player. Those guys usually suck, typically. 
Hey, uh, sometimes you just got to pick Edge for the traits. No, I there. like it. He does have and a lot of Denver. physical goals. I mean, in, Denver, in, a Vic no, Vangio, Denver. in a Vic Vangio defense. I mean, I guess I don't actually know if they're still running Vic Vangio. Vic Vangio, they're probably not using the defense anymore. Well. But I think they right. brought in a Vangio guy as Maybe, their new who defensive knows. coordinator. I mean, I can see it. Denver always seems to have, at least for the last, you know, almost decade now, if not more, seemed to have a pretty dang good defense. So I mean, Shaq Barrett was their third pass rusher. Pretty damn good. So, yeah, I like it. I like it. That's definitely a long shot, but it's definitely a, an interesting one. I could see it happening if he gets in there. Yeah, so that's my long shot. Uh, so our next topic, yeah. Clark, this one is all you. Yeah, this so is your, next this topic, is your shot. this is a little bit different. We're gonna uh, transitioning to uh, Major League Baseball. Um, a conversation that occurred over this weekend, for those who uh, immerse themselves in Major League Baseball, you may have seen it. Uh, the lowly Baltimore Orioles brought up um, their top prospect and the major league talk prospect, uh, Adley Rutschman. Huge excitement for them. Great for the fans of Baltimore that it deserves something to start to cheer about a little bit more. The team is playing a little bit better than I thought they would. But the uh, commotion that got brought up um, about Adley Rutschman was that he was wearing number 35. And some people were a little bit befuddled and some upset that he was wearing 35 considering Hall of Fame Oriole pitcher Mike Mussina wore number 35. Um, and that's kind of, kind of started the conversation, at least in my head of like, okay, you know, is it really something for Orioles fans to be upset about? Does it really matter? And, you know, if it really was an issue to begin with, should they have just retired Musina's number in the first place to make sure that no one could allow it? Just because, you know, there hasn't been an Oriole in a long time that's been in the hall, as far as my recount. And Musina's is a pretty big name. So, um, I guess my question to you is that, you know, one topic I kind of want to talk about was uh, just numbers that aren't retired that maybe should be, like a guy like Musina. So did you uh, think of any guys you're like, you know, oh, why isn't that number retired? You know, I just think it kind of crossed my mind listening to that conversation. Yeah, so I, I compiled a list of mm -hmm. – I got about 10 guys. So I strictly kept to the NFL. Ten. Nice. So I, I got about 10 guys in the NFL that I think the numbers probably should be retired or at least thought about, which I haven't, mm -hmm. I haven't seen people talk about recently. Mm -hmm. The most surprising to me, of course, is the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals probably have the best offensive lineman to ever play the game in Anthony Munoz, mm -hmm. who does not have their number retired. No, 76 has not been retired, you're right. So another one is Ken Anderson, who probably also should have his number retired as a Cincinnati Bengals and probably their best quarterback There's a ever. number of Cincinnati Bengals you could probably say this for. I think you're and calling my last, third one. Oh, I got one more. And mm -hmm. then my last is Riley. I, I don't I don't even get how he's not in oh, the Ken Hall Riley? of Fame. Yeah. yeah. I don't even get how Ken Riley is not in the Hall of Fame. I don't get how his number is not retired. Um, so those were my Bengal ones. I, I felt like I had to say those just because they only have one guy's number retired. There's one guy I'm surprised you left off, too. Who are you, Boomer Osisen? No, I was going to say Chad Johnson. Oh, I was thinking about Chad Johnson, but I actually don't know in the grand scheme. Like, as a Bengal, he probably should have his number retired, but yeah. in the grand scheme of the NFL, I just he's not really even a Hall of Famer yet. Oh, I was so I just, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I just think from a franchise perspective, those guys you named, I think Chad would be one of those dudes. So, but yeah, I like those. So I have, so one of mine, I, I picked two chargers who probably should get their numbers retired. And one mm -hmm. is probably the Chad Ochocinco equivalent, which is Philip Rivers. Yeah. Philip Rivers should probably get number 17 retired. I mean, mm -hmm. 
Justin Herbert might turn out to be the best Chargers quarterback of all time. But right now, mm-hmm. that title belongs to Rivers. Okay. Um, and then the other one is Antonio Gates. All right. I mean, I, I think Rivers is better than Fouts. Yeah, but my other one is Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates revolutionized the tight end position to the receiving mm-hmm. threat it is today. He probably deserves – I mean, he holds the current tight end touchdown record. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably deserves his number retired. Um, but so the most interesting one, which might be the biggest talking point, and this is the one I would nail down as the most interesting, is mm-hmm. with the Colts. Marvin Harrison's number is not retired. Yeah. Which Marvin Harrison is probably one of the best receivers to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to pick anyone right now, I would say Marvin Harrison probably deserves his number to be retired out of anyone. I like it. I like it a lot. I like those are all good ones. I think those are definitely all guys that certainly when you look at their careers for what they did their respective franchises or guys I'm surprised would not already have it retired. But uh, since you named off a lot of football ones, the, the ones that I'll name, I'll just keep it to the three that I had. Again, some of these guys are more recently retired, but still I'm kind of surprised the numbers, numbers haven't been put up in the rafters already. Uh, top guy that came to mind, uh, Ray Lewis. I know it's an off-limit number for the Ravens. No one's worn 52 since he's retired. It's the same way it is with Ed Reed. No one's worn 20. Um, but I'm kind of surprised they haven't decided to call it like, hey, you know, put it up there at M&T Bank Stadium, make sure everyone knows. Because he, for my money, is the best Ravens defender I've ever watched play. I know Ed Reed was great, but Ray Lewis is one of those guys that was like, all right, you're not coming over the middle. And he was the heart and soul of that defense, I think. Um, another guy whom, which, again, recently retired – and I don't know if this has to do with any sort of way that the contract played out and him retiring, but uh, Calvin same guy. Johnson. Calvin yeah, Johnson. I, I had him on my list. Yeah, I think Calvin Johnson's a guy. It's like, you know, arguably, I think in my mind, a top three, top five receiver of all time and easily behind Barry Sanders, the second best player in Lions history, I think. Um, when you look at what he did in his prime, ungodly numbers. And it was just one of those dudes It was like, you know, you could put it up in triple coverage you actually feel relatively confident that he's going to come down with it over those guys. I think just what you look, what he did for the Lions, he stuck it out for as long as he could. And I, again, I don't know if it's a matter of how things ended for some reason with the Lions. Like, no, we're not going to do this, but certainly a guy who I would say is extremely deserving of it. Yeah, he was on my uh, list. I, I'm exactly on the same wavelength as you. Yeah, and then uh, the last guy that I had for the NFL is someone who I briefly, I think at least for the Bengals itself, um, I think Chad Johnson. Um, I think for me as a Bengals fan, you can make a really good argument that in the early 2000s, besides the 05 season when they made the playoffs and they got more relevant, Chad was really the only reason you turned on the TV for the Bengals. There was not a lot for that franchise to be happy about. Um, he stayed around for a long time. He had a, a number of all-pro years. He was a 1,000-yard receiver, basically boxed it in for about almost a decade for the Bengals. And I think just for the franchise itself, he's so iconic to it. I mean, with the celebrations, just the character and the personality that he was, combined with really good play, it just kind of makes sense that I think the Bengals should retire. And again, you could go down the list with the numbers from Cincinnati. They don't have a single one. I mean, Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, Anthony Munoz, Boomer Sison, the list goes on. But Chad's yeah. the guy that jumps out the most to me. And then on a different subject, I went to baseball, picked out three numbers that I thought. Um, I'm kind of surprised. First one, and I think I know why, because it's kind of tainted, but 25 in San Francisco, Barry Bonds is not retired. Not a you can still wear 25, and I get it. Again, I'm a guy who thinks Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame. I do. And I can't believe that 25 isn't retired, because I think when you look at the San Francisco Giants, even though he didn't spend his whole career there with being in the Pirates beforehand, 
Bonds is one of the most synonymous giants and probably one of the most historic giants. I mean, he has the most historic home run you could argue in Major League history going for 756 to be Hank Aaron. But I'm surprised he's not up there. Um, another guy who's not retired, who again is so big for his organization, uh, Fernando Valenzuela for the Dodgers. Number 34 is not retired. That number is still, I don't know if it's a thing where it's just like you just don't wear it because you know. But uh, Fernando Mania was a real thing. Probably one of, again, one of the top pitchers in the Dodgers organization ever and one of the best pitchers you can make an argument in baseball history. He's a guy who I definitely think about. And the last guy I had on my list, a little bit different, but I think could be a really good guy to retire, goes back a long way. I think the Cleveland Guardian should retire number 29, Satchel Page's number. I think that is a guy who, who would, A, was when he was playing back in the day, granted, a long time ago. One of the most electric pitchers that was on the mound. Threw hard, had great stuff, and was also just culturally-wise very influential in terms of breaking in as being uh, one of the I mean, first African-American players to play baseball. Um, and second of all, I think for Cleveland and just for baseball in general, if you know he's not the most synonymous name with the sport, but if you were to go to a Cleveland game and you had a kid and he's like, oh, who's that? To be able to tell the story of Satchel Page and how important he was, I think would be a cool thing for Cleveland to have and a little mark for them to be. So I would say Satchel Page 29 would be a good number to have. Uh, those are all really good ones. Yeah. So uh, Barry was... Bonds is an interesting one because not a Hall of Famer and has now lost his eligibility. I know, which is a shame. And again, I've re- I wrote about this briefly in a little blog on my own, but I, the thing with Bonds is I get it. Steroids, he did them. You can call him a cheater, but I think it was a part of the sport at the time, and you can't really tell the story of baseball without including its most prolific home run hitter, Barry Bonds. I mean, I feel like he's got to be there, but I get I think the reason his, his number's not retired is because of the steroid stuff. Yeah, I, I think those are great. So what I want to do before we transition into our next one is so I want to rapid fire off the ones that I did not say and to tell you the truth, they're all Denver Broncos. So I have really? three Denver Broncos I did not okay. say. So one that I thought of was Peyton Manning. I'm surprised his number isn't retired in Denver just because okay. of his Super Bowl victory and all of the records he holds in Denver. I know, and because now a short time there, I feel like. I know, but he's going to become an owner of the team, it feels like. He's in all of their promo materials. It honestly feels like post his career, he's more of a Denver Bronco than he was an Indianapolis Colt, as weird as it is. I, I feel know. like he spends I more guess time maybe with it's that true. organization. I remember him more, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if you're – I mean, he did do a ton. I just don't know if he'd be a guy if I was the Broncos, I'd retire the number. Why wouldn't you retire the number? Mm, it's maybe a stupid argument. I know he did a lot there, but just the length of time. He wasn't there 10 years. He wasn't there a decade. I know he won a Super Bowl, but it's like, okay, did the Buccaneers retire Tom Brady's number when he retires? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Payton was there five seasons. I mean, it, it feels like he was there less, but he set every offensive record up until that point on Denver in True. that offense. He made them relevant. They went to two Super Bowls, 1-1. I mean, just an advocacy, a devil's advocate of it. I mean, to be fair, the Super Bowl, he won. He didn't do anything to contribute, hardly. He was just kind of there. Yeah, that defense was deadly. The defense won it for him. And then the other Super Bowl where they were this prolific offense, they got creamed by Seattle. So, but still, I get what you're saying. He did a lot for the organization. 
It's funny you say that the thing about Peyton, his career is too short, because my next one is another Denver Broncos whose career was short, which is Terrell Davis. I'm surprised Terrell Davis, his number, is not retired as one of the early 2000s best running backs. I agree. I mean, I understand. Again, I think Terrell Davis is a guy I would retire, actually, over Peyton, because I think he is more synonymous with Denver than I think Peyton Manning is. And maybe that's just me. I remember Peyton more for the Colts years than I do the Bronco years. Yeah. So, but Terrell Davis, I think, is a guy you would. Because, again, the 2,000-yard year, integral in getting the Super Bowl for them. I think a cornerstone. Really, actually, a guy that probably would have played longer if not having for, you know, migraine issues and stuff. But Terrell Davis would be a guy I'd I'd slide in there, retire 3-0. So, my last one is Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey's number has not been retired, who is maybe the best cornerback of the 2000s, early 2000s. Yeah, I like. I think yeah, I, I think Champ Bailey. I remember every time. I think Champ Bailey is one of the uh, OG shutdown corners of the NFL. I think he's one of those top guys up there. And again, I always remember him donning the blue and orange for the Broncos. I think he's a guy that would make a lot of sense to go ahead and retire twenty four. So yeah, I think it's another good one. Yeah. So those were my couple. Uh, I threw out D'Angelo Hall as maybe an idea. Hmm. Another one I thought about, which I don't think is as likely, is like Troy Polamalu on Pittsburgh. Uh, I think that could of... happen. I think it would. I mean, I'm sure Pittsburgh will retire seven for Ben, but yeah, I, mean, I think not especially come. yeah, Paul Amalo 43. I mean, yeah. I, I, again, I don't know if I've seen. Uh, I think someone actually has worn 43 since he's been yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not but... sure. Yeah, but yeah. So, yeah, so moving no. on to our last story of this episode is yeah. we are moving on to this nil controversy over in college football. Yes. So over the last couple of days, we've had Jimbo Fisher just firing shots at Nick Saban after Nick Mm -hmm. Saban had thrown out the original punch. So Mm -hmm. for those that haven't been paying attention, Nick Saban uh, got onto his mic and just called out Texas A&M for buying all of their recruits, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so Jimbo Fisher did not like that at all and then Mm -hmm. decided to fire back at Nick Saban and basically say that he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so this has been this huge controversy brewing between these two juggernauts. Mm-hmm. And then getting into the middle of it is old Miss Lane Kiffin. Yeah. So Lane Kiffin, the other day, decides Mike and basically talk about how he treats his team like a pro sport and that mm-hmm. these are pro players. Mm-hmm. So, Clark, what are your thoughts on this entire controversy? I mean, again, I... I... I, we've talked about this on our own beforehand, but it's again with Lane Kiffin bringing it up today. I think it just kind of puts it back into the spotlight. But um, I'm with Lane and Jimbo Fisher more with Lane Kiffin than anything else. Is that I mean, look, if Nick Saban's trying to sit here and say like, oh, you know, they're buying the players, like we don't do that at Alabama. That's a lie. Like, what are you, am I supposed to just pretend that that's true? That Alabama isn't like also using NIL to its advantage? No. I mean, what kind of ridiculous idea is that? And I don't know if Saban's saying it because he's jealous that they didn't have the number one recruit class in the country for some reason. But I don't like, I don't understand where the sentiment comes from. And I, again, going back to Kiffin's comment, I mean, he's right. For all intents and purposes, I mean, college players are on the biggest stage in those Power 5 conferences on a biggest stage you could ask for. They get ratings that rival just up there with the NFL. People pay to watch these kids. 
and they're just treated like superstars and they are rightfully now getting a financial benefactor of it that they should have been receiving for a while and i think this whole idea that people are like oh the nil is ruining college sports how could they possibly do this is like the most old head argument of all time these guys that you know they're going here to these schools the amount of cash they bring in for their respective universities is absurd like it's crazy the revenue brought in from alabama football and you know these sec schools and other big five probably pay for a lot if not most of the other athletic programs i mean i'm sure i know there's rumors they operate at loss but the ultimate reality is, is that I think NIL for these players is good. They should be able to monetize off themselves. They should be able to make money. And just for, like, Nick Saban to be like, oh, we at Alabama think that's ridiculous, and what a preposterous idea that we would do that, and we're getting beat by NIL, and it's yada, yada, yada. It's stupid. So I think Jimbo and Lane are on the right. I don't know what Saban's talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think NIL has every right to be in college football. Mm -hmm. uh, I think these players are treated like professionals and they get marketed like professionals. Yeah. I mean, look at the way that they marketed Joe Burrow when he was on LSU. Look at any of this. I mean, look at how they just trotted out Bryce Young last year. Mm -hmm. Look at the way they treated Bryce Young. I mean, I get CJ Stroud is another one. They treat mm -hmm. these guys like they're already in the league, that mm -hmm. they're already NFL players. And for these coaches to get up there and been like no 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 that would be awful for these players to get paid and that would be yeah. awful that they're going to different schools that aren't alabama and clemson yeah i it's mean it's yeah, it, to me yeah like i'm sure saban's just fuming the number one recruit went to jackson state to play with Deion sanders but it's like okay he gets to play for Deion sanders and he probably got a you know i don't know what the deal was in the nil but i'm sure he got a fat check but good for him why he got shouldn't 3. he? Three million dollars. Three point. Good for him. Why shouldn't he? If he went to Alabama and you know, played for them, they'll do what they always. I mean, for the longest time, like I for the longest time had a Vince Young UT jersey, but instead of Young on the back, it just said Texas. So they would just poach the money off of him because they would get the yeah. jersey sale. So like, good for him if he wants to go make three point two million, and you know he's not playing in a Division One like powerhouse. So be it for him. He's getting his money. He's getting his due for what he is, and he's a great player. So why well, should he worry about it? The other thing people always talk about is like, oh, if it weren't for NIL, this guy wouldn't have went to Jackson State, and he could have went to Alabama, and then he would have made the NFL. But yeah. there's no guarantee he's gonna make the NFL, even if he goes to Alabama. Yeah, he might fall down the depth chart. He might get injured. But in this case, he just secured himself a check of $3.2 million. Yeah. That could have him set into his early 30s, if not even later than that, Probably depending on the lifestyle he's living. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly. ridiculous. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the thing, too. Like, would you, how could you ever possibly blame someone for doing that? At 18 years old, if someone handed you and said, hey, if you don't go play to Power Five and you go play at Jackson's, uh, Jacksonville State for Deion Sanders, we'll give you 3.2. Are they supposed to turn down financial security if they play it right for themselves and probably somewhat for their kids, I mean, for their kids too? Why would they say no to that? In yeah. what world does that make sense? I mean, I think a part of it also is Nick Saban's probably a little butthurt that it feels like now college football is getting a little bit more parity. USC no. is back in the mix. Mm -hmm. Jackson State is getting big recruits. Big recruits are going to different places. They're yeah. not just going to Alabama. They're not just going to Clemson. They're not just going to Ohio State. They're actually spreading out. I mean, Texas A&M is getting recruits again. Yeah, it's it's my thing, too, is that I'm like, you know, I think you're right in the whole parody thing. 
I mean, he's probably upset that it's not just as much of a cakewalk for him to get these number one recruits classes every year. He's not getting the top guy at every position because the reality is with NIL, other teams are more willing to be like, yeah, we'll hook it up with something for sure. And if he's stuck in the idea of like, oh, we're just going to lean on the fact that we produce NFL guys every year. Well, the reality of the situation is if for these guys, if they can take that NIL money, you know, maybe they can take, you know, three years and four years and be like, well, the NFL is not what I want to do. And I've already made this substantial amount of money. I can go look at some other endeavor that I want. And they can go ahead and do that. But yeah, I, I think it definitely brings some sort of more balance to the college football spectrum and that there's more option for guys to go to. Yeah, I just think it's going to be better for the sport in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there'll be a lot of old heads who had a lot of issues with this. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, we had Kurt Herbstreit get up there during bowl season last year mm-hmm. and just oh, absolutely. They, they don't care about football, they don't yeah. care about it. Shut up. It's because you have them playing in the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. Who cares? If I'm going to be a top pick or get drafted, why am I going to go play in freaking the Great Idaho Potato Bowl in front of 2,000 people? Why would I ever care about that? It's well, not that they don't care anymore. It's such uh It's dumb. Even call it even NFL GMs. Tom Telesco stood up on the stand and said, "Yeah, we don't even put bowl games in like that much of our scouting unless if they're why playing playoff games. <laughs> they just don't care. Like exactly. NFL teams do not care. They watch the tape but and see if there's anything good there but it's just another game tape yeah i mean unless you've had some sort of disastrous season your stock has fallen immensely and this is somehow you think is going to make up for all in one game then yeah go ahead and play but truth be told if i'm an nfl prospect and i know i have a chance i'm in college unless i'm playing like maybe in the college football playoff screw a bowl game it's just an opportunity to get hurt i mean yeah Uh, look at matt corral this year matt corral played in a bowl game and got hurt i mean it it could for him mm -hmm. he at least is going to be able yeah he at least got drafted if he had tore his acl it might have even been a different story well i mean what was it uh a couple years ago i forget which game it was but uh the tight end for michigan jake butt he was supposed to be like the first round pick and i think he blew out his knee and he ended up dropping to the fifth round i mean fortunately i think he had like an insurance policy on the knee and cashed out on it which is smart but that's like okay he just dropped four rounds because he got hurt in the last game of the season that didn't count for anything except for school and personal pride which is fine to play for but if you're looking to make a career out of this it's no use to play in it it's also destroyed his nfl career i mean he yeah, hasn't never turned done anything. into anything i know which is a shame for him but yeah that probably definitely trickled down to whatever ended up happening with him so yeah just for nil i think for all intents and purposes I don't know why people have such an issue with it. I don't know why there's such pushback of these college players making money off their likeness, off themselves, off the popularity that they drive, not only to them personally, but to the school itself. They should absolutely get a cut for what they're doing. I mean, I don't see the problem with it whatsoever. No, I don't see any problem. For me, it'll just make college football better. And I mean, obviously, but hopefully it'll mean the Pac-12 gets back to getting better. Hopefully Oregon usc utah are all able to get some of these recruits mm-hmm. and bring back pack 12 well just like uh, another thing i think just the last thing on the mail that i think is a little bit rich um is that people have such a big issue but like let's not pretend that beforehand these players were not getting paid the big ones at least something under the table like yeah. you're lying to yourself if you think that because that's you're lying if you thought trevor lawrence was just going scot-free at clemson yeah i mean come on like really i know or like other guys you know i'm trying to think of like another a good example like recent history um that would have been pre-nil andrew Uh, luck at stanford andrew luck ah well maybe andrew luck just because he seems like that guy. maybe i I mean he's a really smart guy but when you're just Uh, a prospect of that magnitude like number one generational prospect mm -hmm. 
for the team just to have you on on their team takes a lot. Yeah, exactly. Especially now, right. it's going to get even worse with the transfer portal. Now these big no, quarterbacks exactly. can just tr- go wherever. wherever they want. Yeah, but again, I think that's good. I thought it was stupid before you had to sit out a year, basically, if you wanted to transfer yeah. somewhere. So. No, I totally agree. I think this is a much better system. Yeah. I mean, and Oklahoma it, fans are mad because C.J. Williams left, but... Uh, everyone right. left Oklahoma. Everyone left Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, it really... I just like all the Oklahoma fans trying to act like, oh, it wasn't Lincoln Riley. Like, Oklahoma is just a good school. It wasn't Lincoln Riley. And then every player left. Everyone left to go and play USC with Lincoln Riley, who he recruited. I wonder why that happened. Oh, man, that's crazy. I wonder Uh, if players think the same thing as you, random fan. Oh, my God. You're telling me he left to go follow the coach that recruited him, staying, staying with someone who, like, will bring his own recruiting class in? That's wild. That's crazy. Why would that ever happen? So cool. Have you been well, here? It's especially because so Oklahoma is switching to the SEC. And SC, that, okay, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I'm going to laugh every single time it happens. Oklahoma football is going to get smacked in the SEC. And I think Texas will too. But that's what they, they deserve. So stupid. It's so dumb. stupid. It's dumb. But they reap what they sell. And I thought it was hilarious that as soon as Lane Kiffin left, that all of his players left. And Oklahoma was like, what are we going to do now? And then their fans just went on a big diatribe about how Lincoln Riley really isn't that good. And he didn't develop Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, there's no reason that they've had two former first overall picks. That has nothing to do with Lincoln Riley. That's no, for sure. and Jalen Hurts is also another starter in the league. Yeah, bad guys. Bad, Lincoln, nothing. Yeah, Lincoln nothing. Riley, bad head he's coach. Never not forget a, that. Yeah, he bad, bad. Poverty head coach. Poverty head coach. I'd rather have anyone else. Yeah, please, God, I'd really have. Hey, bring me back Chip Kelly. Give me Chip Kelly over Lane Kiffin. That's bomb. Give me, yeah. give me by Bill O'Brien. Yeah, give me Hugh Jackson. Actually, bring Hugh Jackson back to college if he was over mm-hmm. here. Get him in. All right. Well, this has been our show. Thanks for listening. If you stayed all the way till the end, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can follow us on TikTok. You can follow us on Twitter. Those are our main social medias right now. I just put a link tree in our Twit on our TikTok bio which if you're looking for any of our links uh you're welcome to look there that is the best place to reach us you're free to dm us you're free we're really trying to build up these platforms really trying to interact with you guys so i hope you're listening i hope you're enjoying yeah and uh, is there anything sure else you see us, uh, yeah if you see us post anywhere on that feel free to shit on any of our texts i'm always glad to uh defend and say something back and retort my favorite thing actually for sure yeah uh so please reach out to us and have a great rest of your day